This is episode number 24, how to live a more meaningful life with less stuff with the founders of TheMinimalists.com, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. Welcome, my name is Mark LaRoost, founder and host of The Unconventionalists, and each week I bring you an inspiring story or message to help you take action on something meaningful to you. In this show, I track down unlikely leaders and entrepreneurs who've pushed boundaries and inspired others so I can pick their minds and more importantly, dive into their hearts to share with you a VIP all-access pass, their successes, failures, and deepest secrets to how they got to where they are today. Hi, and welcome back to the show. If this is your first time, a very warm welcome. And if you've come back over and over again, I love you already. Today's a very special episode for a few reasons. First of all, it's been months in the making that I've been wanting to get the founders of The Minimalists to come over on the show. And I'm really happy that I eventually got to speak with both of them because they provided loads of value and a lot of content around how to actually do the stuff that matters and how to get rid of the stuff that clutters and the stuff that gets in the way of what's really meaningful. So I really hope that you're going to enjoy today's interview. It's also a very special day because by the time this episode will go live, it will officially be the last day in my job. Just over a decade, just under a decade ago, I started my career just two days after graduating. And now I've decided to fully commit to my journey, uh, growing my business. And it's something that's really scary and I have loads of uncertainties. In fact, on Sunday, I sat down and crunched the numbers in terms of how much I was spending a month in terms of my living expenses, transport, food, running my business and so forth, and how much money I had left in the bank account. And the truth is, it is way shorter than what I anticipated. Two and a half months, that's my runway. So if I was a startup, we would start panicking right now, ringing alarm bells, calling all the financial investors and business angels that we knew in all the VCs and try to fund more money because we we had to sell on a dream. We would have to sell on a dream of what was next. And the reason why I think this is such a perfect timing along with this episode is that just like me, the founders of theminimalists.com, who are Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, six years ago, decided to ditch their corporate jobs and start writing this blog. And it turns out that they started with 52 readers and six years later, they've now have 4 million readers. They've written three books and they've got a new documentary that's coming out uh, on the 24th of May across cinemas in America called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And it was great getting to sit down with them because we got to really dive into the nitty gritty stuff of what they've learned over the years of growing their, their, their reader base from 52 to 4 million. We also talked about something that's being thrown in the air all the time these days about adding value. I don't know if you've heard, but I've been hearing this buzzword around adding value and adding value. And actually, we got to sort of speak about what does that actually mean? And I, and I really enjoyed actual, actually what they, what they kind of answered. We also talked about why people read and share your content online. So you'll definitely want to dive into that. We talked about why you need to surround yourself with supportive people. We looked at actually why sometimes the best business model that you may think isn't actually quite the business model that you want or need. And we talked about how to not attach your identity to what you own or what you do. And that's something that's so important for me right now because I'm going through that transition and I've been 
uh, a successful men's health activist over the last four years. I've helped raise 2.8 million euros for men's health issues to help develop the Movember Foundation across Europe. And that's been something I've been really proud of and something that's been really sexy to tell people that I'm actually doing something good in the world, that I've been helping fight cancer and, and helping men break taboos around mental health issues and taking action on their health. And suddenly I'm stripped away from that title. So it's a bit like if you had stars in your jacket or you were a general in the army and suddenly you were stripped from that title. And it, and it just feels scary because you go back out there and it's almost as if your identity shifted and changed. And I actually want to do a whole podcast about this whole transition and I'm, and I'm hoping to, to, to do that as well. Before I dive into the, the episode, I want to give a, a, a sort of a, a reminder in case you didn't know that I've started growing my YouTube channel and it's amazing to see um, the response that I'm getting. And, and I've kind of had like a, you know, an okay response over the last few weeks or a few months. And something happened that really shifted. That happened last week. I decided on, on last minute to go over to a talk that was organized by Gary Vaynerchuk. If you don't know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, check him out. Um, he's the author of four New York Times bestselling books. He's an early uh, business investor in uh, startups such as, you might know them, Twitter, Facebook, Uber, and um, uh, Snapchat. And he's also the host of The Daily V Show and the Ask Gary V Show. And he's kind of a really uh, larger-than-life character, and he doesn't hold back. And the reason why I mentioned this is that I actually took my camera with me and I decided to record a vlog, and I ended up interviewing half the speakers that night. I ended up getting to, to speak and meet with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk at the end when he was in the ring, and I did a video, and I went back home that night instead of going to the after party, and I worked from midnight to 5 a.m., to edit this video on freaking iMovie and using pickmonkey.com as a free online tool to edit pictures to be able to put some specific tailored uh, titles in the video because I don't have any other software. So it was super rudimentary, but I was so keen to, to ride on the momentum of the event so that I could get the video out there in time for people to sort of uh, share it before even the actual organizers had time to even put out one official picture or one even official video. I wanted to make sure I was, I was the first out of the starting blocks. And I'm so glad I did because as a result, in 40 hours, it received like 500 views as opposed to an average like 60 to 100 views I might get on a video. Um, so that was really interesting from a kind of a content and marketing and timing perspective, something that I'll try and, and talk a bit more later on. So there you go. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to put on the interview because I know that that's why you're listening to this also. So ladies and gentlemen, I give you Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, the co-founders of The Minimalists. Joshua Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, you guys must be in a full prep mode as you hit the road to uh, release a very exciting documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things out across the US on the 24th of May. How are you guys feeling? Man, feeling really excited. We spent like, what is it, the last three years or so, about, what was it, I guess six years ago, we, we started theminimalists.com. And, and since then, you know, we've written hundreds of essays and uh, we've published three books on intentional living. We've toured internationally and we've just found ways that you know, unintentionally at first, but uh, we didn't mean for this thing to spread as, as much as it did. And, and what we've been doing now is finding different ways to, to communicate this message, this simple living message. 
Yeah, we're super, we're super excited, man. It's, you know, not only uh, communicating this message is, is, you know, our, our, our passion and, 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 you know, what we're, what we're focused on right now, but just getting out and meeting the people whose lives it's affecting and seeing how it's affecting people's lives is, is, uh, is really exciting to get on the road and, and, and do that as well. Yeah. And, and we're going to dive into a bit more about the documentary in a bit, but one of the things that you, you mentioned is that when you guys launched um, the minimalist.com, there was, I think on the first, first week or something, you had 52 readers. And now six, <laughs> six, six years later, you've got 4 million people who um, read your essays. What would you say? Yeah. It, yeah. I was, I was, I was like, what, you know, it's, it's insane. I mean, really, it's like mind blowing how you guys went from 52 people to 4 million. What would you say is the yeah, biggest it, it, thing you've learned? It just didn't, it wasn't a leap like that. You know, 52 turned into 500 and, and yeah. that turned into 5,000 and 50,000. And, and what we learned is that if you are trying to add value to other people's lives, if you're truly adding value to other people's lives, they tend to share your message with their friends and family because they want to add value to their lives as well. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I get an essay in an, in an email or, you know, I see something on Facebook that I really like or, or whatever it may be. My, my first inclination is to, to, I think of someone that I would want to share this sure. with because I got value from this. How, how can I add value to someone else's life as well? Because it helped me. How can I sort of pay it forward? How can I contribute beyond myself? And so that's really, really how it started. In fact, our, our first, uh, on our road to about two million, we we never did any kind of interview or press or anything like that. It was all just word of mouth, people sharing it on on Twitter and and Facebook. And my favorite social media button is that forward button from from email. <laughs> yeah, I think my I think my favorite my favorite thing about uh, our journey so far and, and and how our audience has grown is that it's been it's been so organic. Like we've never had anything go viral. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we've never had. This major, uh, you know, um, uh, essay that just, you know, made it to major media and, and all of a sudden we got this huge spike in traffic. It's been a very gradual, very natural process. And, and I think, uh, I think that's the right type of growth. Yeah. And, and I met, um, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you, if you know who he is. Um, oh yeah. Gary V. Yeah. That's it. Gary V. Yes. I met him yesterday. And, um, that was one of the things that, uh, he was talking about, which is basically people just, don't know how to be patient anymore. And that's one of the things that he, he was really good at was basically being patient. And when, and when, you know, when people hear like, okay, so I've got to add value to people. What does adding value to people mean, actually mean? Well, when something adds value to my life, I can start with myself. Sure. It means it serves a purpose or it brings joy in some way. So if I'm constantly asking that question, does this add value? I, I'll ask that question even if I'm going to send a tweet or post a, a right. picture on Instagram. I, I'm not going to do that incessantly because I'm constantly asking that question. And for me, that started with the stuff. When, when we first embraced this thing called minimalism, uh, I was actually the first one to do it. I, I started asking, does this thing add value to my life? And really what that meant is, does it serve a purpose or does it bring me joy? And if not, I had to be willing to let go. And then, of course, that started bleeding over to a bunch of other areas of, of life and, and even down to the tweet. If I'm sending a tweet, does this add value? Is someone going to laugh from this or is this some information that I can share in some way? And, and if so, then I'm willing to share it. And it's the reason you never see Ryan or, or me share, you know, cats. here's a picture of my, my, my sandwich. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's a picture of my cat eating yeah. a sandwich. I, yeah, yeah. It, it just it, – but – 
again, it doesn't, it doesn't mean there's something inherently wrong with that. My guess probably is a time that you can share a, a photo of a cat, and, and it's perfectly acceptable. It's not, uh, it's not vapid or, or, or trivial, but, but there are many other times where we feel this compulsion to share, mm. and, and it becomes this, this badge of honor. In fact, when we first started talking, you said, you use this word, this, this terrible, terrible four-letter word, busy. <laughs> you said you guys must be busy right now, and my my honest answer to you is no, we're not busy. We're we're really focused on on this one thing. But Ryan and I tend to pick one project a year, and and we really stay focused on that. And everything we do serves uh, ser- serves that project. And so whether it's the, the documentary this year or. Uh, we, we had a year of contribution last year. We built a school and funded another high school and did some other stuff. And, and, and we try to focus on one important thing a year. And it doesn't mean you don't do other stuff. It just means everything serves that, that larger project, uh, even down to the, the blogging, social media level, whatever mm-hmm. else you're doing. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, think, and I think it's one of the big things that really um, attracted me to speaking to you guys, which is around... The minimalist seems to be more than just an idea. It seems to be like a philosophy and like almost like a way of living. Um, when you guys almost, I was actually looking almost two years to the day when you guys delivered your your, your TEDx talk. Um, it was it was like this compelling message of your story. Now, for people who may not know who you guys are, and I love talking about the the what we call the origin story, and this is something I took from from Jane Dashelter, which is basically what would you say is is your guys' origin story to the minimalists? I'll start with me. I, I was 28 years old, and, and up until that point, I, I had achieved everything I ever wanted, the six-figure salary, the big house with more bedrooms than people, and all the stuff to fill every corner of my consumer-driven lifestyle. And I was really living the American dream, living back in, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, but I wasn't satisfied with what that was, and I wasn't really sure why. And I was constantly chasing this thing called happiness, and it was mm. you know, the closer I got, the farther away it was. And and I was living this ostensible life of success, this thing that from the outside most people would have looked at and said that is the definition of success. But it was very a uh, very narrow definition. It was maybe monetarily successful, but it wasn't successful in other ways. It wasn't fulfilling. Uh, I had forsook the things that were most important in life. And it took two events for me. Um, my mother died and my marriage ended, both in the same month. Mm. And, and this was uh, 2009. And those two events forced me to look around and, and start to question what was important in my life. And what was interesting is I didn't even know what was important. Sure. And, and I looked around at all of the stuff that was in my life and realized that, yes, I was living the American dream, but it wasn't my dream. Mm. And, and it kind of took getting everything I thought I wanted to realize that everything I ever wanted wasn't actually what I wanted at all. And and so I started letting go. And I, I spent eight months of, of my life just purging, letting go of the excess. See, I don't think minimalism is about deprivation. It was about clearing the excess so I could get down to what was important. Mm. And And through that, it made room for the other things that were important. You know, minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things so we can make room for life's most important things. And, and, and those actually aren't things at all. It's health, it's relationships, it's creativity and passion and growth and contribution. And, and these are the sort of benchmarks of a more meaningful life. And it took getting the excess stuff out of the, the things I thought I wanted to realize that there was something else I could focus my life on. 
Yeah, and for me, it, it really started with uh, me noticing these changes in in Josh. Um, I remember, I remember really small things like, uh, oh, I went to his new apartment um, after he split up with his wife, and I was helping him move some stuff in. I noticed he didn't have a TV, and I'm like, <laughs> dude, you've got like, you know, this huge place. <laughs> you've got, in fact, there was like a TV mount on the wall that like came with the apartment. Sure. I'm like, you've got this awesome mount on the wall. Like, you know, what what size TV are you going to get? When are you going to get a TV? <laughs> And he was like, oh, you know, I might get a TV, I might not. Um, and just kind of left it at that. Didn't really bring up minimalism at all. And then I noticed things like, oh, he would say things to our boss, like, um, hey, you know, trying to get a hold of me at, at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve, that's not, that's not acceptable anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is like, you know, talk, t- having that kind of talk in our corporate world um, was like sacrilegious. I mean, you, you know, sure. you were you were beholden to your BlackBerry and to your right. boss and your boss's boss and you to be available at any time. And, and Josh started to kind of uh, stand up and say, no, I don't have to be available all the time. And at first I'm like, like, what the heck is going on with him, man? Is he uh, is he like going off the deep end or, you know, what's going on? So eventually I sat him down and um, I I. Uh, invited him out uh, to lunch. Um, we went to a really nice restaurant called Subway. And uh, <laughs> as I as I sat there, uh, you know, eating our lunch, I looked up at Josh and I'm like, dude, I noticed you're a lot happier. Why? Sure. Why the hell are you so happy? And uh, he started to talk about this thing called minimalism. He introduced me to this concept. Uh, not just that, but he introduced me to a whole community of people who called themselves minimalists. Mm. And it's funny because like the first, the first person I, I uh, was introduced to was Colin Wright. Yeah, I know. At the time, he was a 24-year-old entrepreneur who traveled to a new country every four months uh, you know, based upon the votes of his readers. And that wasn't like the lifestyle I particularly wanted to live. I really envied the fact that he was doing what he wanted to do, but yeah. you know, I didn't want to be this vagabond or peripatetic writer or anything <laughs> like that. So, so I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole though and discovered other, other people like Courtney Carver and, and Joshua Becker and, and Leo Babalta and, and, and all these people, all these names that I'm mentioning, they're all different. They have minimalist families. Um, they, they, uh, have, uh, you know, minimalist extended families. And there were these differences uh, that they all had, but there was a couple things that they had in common that I noticed right off the bat. You know, first off, they were all living very deliberate, meaningful lives. They were passionate and purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. They, they seemed much richer than any of the so-called rich guys I ever worked with in the corporate world. <laughs> And then second, they called themselves minimalists. So I was like, great, I'm in. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do this minimalist thing. I, I, think, I think I could probably take these recipes and find some ingredients that will work in my life. So, so I, I kind of uh, hopped, on, hopped on board and didn't really know where to start, though. <laughs> I'm like, great, I'm a minimalist. Uh, now what do I do, Josh? I'm ordering one uh, sandwich. I, I'm not ordering fries with my sandwich. I'm a minimalist. Right, exactly. Like, do I just throw away everything? So <laughs> Josh had spent like the last eight months simplifying his life, which was great for him, but I needed faster results, you know, yeah. typical American. And we came up with this crazy idea called a packing party. So this is where my journey started. It was with a packing party. And what it consisted of was us packing up my entire 
2,000 square foot condo and pretending like I was moving. And then the idea was for me to unpack things as I needed it over the next three weeks to find out what was really adding value to my life. So Josh came over and, you know, literally helped me pack up everything, my clothes and kitchenware and furniture and towels and TVs, everything. We literally put everything in boxes. And I, day by day, was unpacking things as I needed it. You can imagine that first night I'm unpacking my toothbrush (laughs) and some clothes for work the next day. And then I came home, uh, you know, the next day and like ran to my uh, internet and unpacked the uh, modem and hooked it back up. Um, It was a really interesting experience, but Ultimately, after three weeks, I had 80% of my stuff still sitting in boxes, just yeah. sitting there, unaccessed. And like that was my, that was my light bulb moment. Uh, that is when I, I decided to uh, donate, sell, uh, just get rid of, uh, sure. of all the superfluous stuff in my life. And that's really where the minimalists.com started. It was with uh, that packing party story. Uh, I went to Josh, and I'm, uh, you know, I was kind of documenting this as it was going, writing and journaling, and 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 just writing down these revelations I was having. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I think I think we could probably put up a, a website uh, like these other guys do, and and maybe share our story. Maybe maybe it could help people out as well. Yeah. And and we minimalists.com. Yeah, it's it's ama- it's amazing because before I interviewed a guy, I decided that I would I would you know try um try the boxing. Except that I tried that for some reason, totally failed because I ended up unboxing everything. And then, uh, and then I read a book as well. You, you probably know her, Marie Kondo, um, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and that what I did, actually, I just purged the entire flat. I, I got rid of about 70% of everything I own. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and instead of actually, instead of even selling it, I just gave everything to charity because I thought, like, it's going to take me another three months to try and sell this stuff on eBay. And it's just taking space. Yeah. And, I, and I just got rid of it. And, and there's a quote um, in the book that she talks about, you know, the success is caused by our ignorance of how much we actually own. What were you most surprised about? Um, I, guess, I guess, Ryan, in this situation, when you're talking about your story, what were you most surprised about at the end when you had 80% of your stuff there? Is it something that you had been aware of? Is it something that you were just like, this is insane? Or actually, I knew I've got all this. I was just in denial. Now, I think for me, it was all the just in case items that I held on to. Like, <laughs> like I had a bunch of like old cell phones that, you know, at the time, you know, at the time when the cell phone came out, it was worth $499. And yeah. I would hold on to those phones thinking like, wow, you know, this is, this is worth something. Sure. Or maybe, you know, I'll, I'll need a phone just in case uh, one breaks or maybe a family member will need one. But yeah, I had like a drawer full of like, I had like five or six blackberries in there. And then, um, like coffee mugs. I mean, just things like little things like that, where you know it was just me, single guy, uh, living in my condo, and I had probably twenty coffee mugs, and not even all of them were in the same cabinet. It's like I had you know five or six of them in the cabinet, which makes sense if I've got you know guests over, I guess. But then I had like this whole other hoard packed away in this box uh, that I discovered um, or that I finally opened after. Uh, it, you know, traveling with me from place to place right. to place. <laughs> yeah. And then I opened up, oh yeah, I forgot about all these coffee mugs. So um, it, it's funny too, like w- when Josh came over to help me kind of purge everything at the end of the experiment, um, the, I, the coffee mug specifically, 
um, I remember having a conversation with him about it where I'm like, dude, I don't want to get rid of these coffee mugs. Like, yeah. you know, what if one breaks? What if? And he was like, come on, man. Are you ever really going to like, you know, use this coffee mug that says world's greatest dad on it? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, just the just in case stuff is, was really, um, was really surprising. We actually came up with a rule to kind of combat that. Um, we, uh, we came up with this rule called the 2020 rule mm-hmm. where essentially, our theory is is that it works about ninety nine percent of the time. It's worked for us a hundred percent of the time. But but here's here's the rule: is anything that we absolutely need, anything that we absolutely need in in, in, a, in a moment's notice, we could probably get within twenty minutes and for less than twenty dollars. Mm. And and that is held true for us a hundred percent of the time. We've probably only had to use that rule about between the both of us maybe five times. Right. And and it's really helped me. Uh, just with you know, within the last six years since we started the blog, to not hold on to all those extra cables that we get, or the extra you, you get like a pair of, a pair of earphones or uh, earbuds, and you get you know a bunch of different sure uh, sizes, pieces sizes with yeah. it. Yeah, sizes, right? And it's like it. I'm I'm so much. I feel so much comfortable now getting rid of all that, that just in case stuff uh, because that 2020 rule has worked really really well for me. Yeah, because it's, it's it's so much. There's, there's such an emotional attachment to objects, you know. And there's there's a question actually that was submitted to me by one of my that said that I wanted to ask you guys, how do you not attach your identity to what you own? You know, that was actually the hardest thing for me to to get rid of was my identity. It, people often ask, like, what's the most difficult thing to get rid of? And they expect to say it was a sentimental item or it was, you know, the second or third television or, or, <laughs> or, or whatever it may be. But the truth is that I didn't actually get rid of anything uh, of any real value, meaning where I get true value from it. But, but by letting go, I was able to add value to other people's lives. See, if I'm honest with myself, I was just selfishly clinging to a lot of stuff. The average American household has more than 300,000 items in it. And, and of course, it, it really is, but, but we don't consider ourselves hoarders. We, we are organized, right? Well, organizing is just well-planned hoarding in most cases. <laughs> we, we, we buy these bins and, and we have these ordinal uh, systematized systems uh, of, of storing uh, our stuff, which is really just another way to say hoarding our stuff in many cases, uh, not always obviously, but but in many cases where we, we can justify holding on to all these things. But by selfishly clinging to all that stuff, I realized that no one was getting value from it. I wasn't getting any value from it. I was getting value from only about 10% of the stuff I own. So by letting go of over 90% of my stuff, I the, the paradox is I actually started getting much more value from the things I own. And so it, not just me getting value from that stuff, but by letting go, well, you said you donated your stuff to charities. Mm-hmm. What you're doing, you're basically letting that charity uh, declutter for you instead of having to go off and sell <laughs> and off each item to each person. You, you're, you're letting someone else handle that, that clutter, which is great. That, that's what they're set up to do because someone else now is going to get value from that thing. And yeah. just because I get value from something today doesn't mean I'll get value from it five years ago. So sure. it's not like when you become a minimalist, you just have to, you, you get to the 100 items you own and now you're officially a minimalist. Here's your certificate. It's about constantly asking that question. Does this add value to my life? And realizing that even though it does today, it may not tomorrow. And so I, I need to con- continue to be more deliberate. So to answer your question about, about, uh, 
my identity. Well, my identity was wrapped up in who, the, the thought of the person who I had become. So mm. the first question we ask each other when, when we meet a new person is, is often, what do you do? And I think that is life's most dangerous question. I, because I it's hate sort of, that question so much, though. Isn't it terrible? Because, yeah. because why? We, we then spend the next 15 minutes talking about what's written on our business card. And that's fine if, if that's what you really love doing. And there's nothing wrong with having a job. I think we all have to pay the rent. Uh, we all have to pay the bills. And, and we all have to earn some sort of income, or at least most of us do. Mm. And, and so there's nothing wrong with working the nine to five. The, the problem is when we get so tied up in it, it, it becomes that's who we are as a person. That's who I identify as. And for me, it was even more troublesome because Ryan and I grew up really poor. And so being successful by our late twenties in the corporate world, making six figure salaries with an impressive job title, you get really tied up into that. And, and so yeah. Yeah, I was the director of operations for 150 retail stores, which meant, meant I had a very um, impressive answer to that really sure. vapid question. And, and so I, I, instead of saying that when someone asked me, what did you do? I would tell them what I was passionate about. I'd say I'm really passionate about writing. I wouldn't say that's what I do, <laughs> but what I'm passionate about. And I flipped the question on them. I'd say, what are you passionate about? And it would change the whole direction of the question. And that allowed me over time to change my identity. Yeah, because uh, you know, you guys, uh, five days before Christmas last year, launched your podcast. And you're kind of communicating now through this documentary that you're about to launch. You've got your podcast. You keep on writing your essays. Where do you make your majority of your income? Is it through um, the books that you sell? Is it through the, the, the workshops that you run? Uh, because you mentioned, you know, most of us have to pay the bills. And, the, and, and I always enjoy playing the devil's advocate of some of the readers who are listening to this and go, well, you know, it's easy. Um, but what, what do you do? Like, if, if you're passionate about, how can you actually make a living doing what you're passionate about? I'm sorry. I'm... Mark, did you just ask me what do I do? <laughs> no, I, Mark, I know what you're saying, man. And it is important because like people, I mean, certainly your listeners want to know like how do these guys make a living? Like certainly we didn't just quit our jobs and start a blog and throw away all our stuff. And, yeah. and like now we, you know, now we're happy. No, I, I mean, I, 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 I do know where you're coming from. We don't really have like one main source of income. Uh, we have... Uh, a lot of uh, passive income. Um, uh, you know, we're gonna you know make a little bit here with a documentary. Josh teaches a writing class. I have a mentoring program. Uh, we we sell books. Um, we we do a lot of different things. But certainly, there isn't one uh, one major outlet uh, where where we kind of get our income yeah. from. And and I and I think like that's <clears throat> for me like that's the best business model. I mean, re- yeah. relying on one main thing to as your income that kind of is pigeonholing you into into being, uh, you know, one thing for, for, for a period of time for as long as you need that income. Right. Yeah. But for us, it's, it's, it's not like that. We have, um, a few different revenue streams. Sure. And you know, I, I used to think that money was, was basically more important than just about everything else in my life. <laughs> and so I sacrificed to make money and I sacrificed more to make even more money. And then I sacrificed even more and more and more. And mm. I, I was working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, 362 days a year. Uh, working just way too many hours. I forsook my health. I forsook the people closest to me. It's the reason my, my marriage ended. Um, I forsook everything important just in the pursuit of, of the almighty dollar. And, and, and I realized that there was something missing in that, that equation. I, I made good money. I mean, I, I made great money during my days in the corporate world, mm-hmm. but 
the problem with me is I spent even better money, right? <laughs> and, and so that was, yeah. <laughs> and you're spending I had massive yeah. amounts of debt. <laughs> you know, I, so I was making great money, but but I still had six figures worth of debt. Yeah. Right. And so of course that was a, a serious source of of dissatisfaction in my life, and one that that haunted me throughout my my entire twenties. I wasn't debt free until I was uh, thirty one, almost thirty two years old, mm. and, and so it, that started. I didn't know it at the time, but that started when when I was really young. Like I said, Ryan and I grew up really poor, we were, and we were discontented. And the the reason we thought we were discontented is because we didn't have a lot of money. And so it was our plan once we got out of high, high school was to make money. And so yeah. I did that. I went and got a sales job, and by uh, right out of high school, and by age nineteen, I was making fifty grand a year. But then, of course, I was spending sixty five. And that pattern sure. continued on and on and on. I was always spending toward the next promotion, and and the problem with with that is I was continuing to make the same bad decisions that were made all during my my childhood. And the reason that we were discontented growing up wasn't because of because we were poor. It was the same reason we were discontented when we made good money mm. when we were rich. Is it, it was because we were making repeat, repeated bad decisions, right? Yeah, and yeah. so to change that, to change that, I, I realized that I needed to align my short-term actions with my long-term values. I valued things like being debt-free because that's a big part of the equation of freedom. Mm-hmm. If, if you're tied to a particular lifestyle, you, you you're tied. You're by definition not free. You're anchored to something, mm-hmm. and so changing that. So so yeah, Ryan's right. I mean, you know, I, I teach a writing class, and I'm. Able a good living from that, and we've we've been, we've been fortunate enough, enough with with our books. But my initial plan, we walked away from the corporate world. It was I was going to be a barista, and I was going to write fiction <laughs> full time. And this uh, this uh, minimalist thing was a really beautiful accident that just happened to work out. Yeah, I, lo- I love it for for so many reasons because I, I have a very similar background in the sense that I come from the corporate world, and and same thing. I I lived in a three hundred square meter. You know, flat with a telescopic rooftop paid by the business, I had a driver, I had a chef, I had everything at the age of 24. And I remember my parents coming to visit me and I was just miserable. And I come from more of a humble background and my parents were like, what are you talking about? This is like amazing. Look at the lifestyle that you've got. And I was just like, this is, this is so not working for me. Um, and then I've got a client who basically calculated he's got enough money to live over 360 years. Um, with the money that is amounted, wow. and he comes from a, he comes from he was in real estate, uh, which base um, uh, sorry uh, an estate basically means that he comes from uh, a really poor background, and uh, he made his fortune, and now he realized when he's finally made his money that that does not bring happiness. Like you know he 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 he's, he does not feel that fulfillment through money. So I think it's such a powerful thing, and I, w- I want to talk uh, before we kind of wrap up the interview. I want to talk about the documentary that you guys. Uh, are launching because I think that's super exciting. People can look at the trailer. Uh, I think it's www.minimalists.com forward slash trailer. Is that right? Yeah, you can find it there. You can also just go to uh, minimalismfilm.com yeah. and uh, see the trailer there. And if you want to actually see the film, it'll be in theaters uh, May 24th. And then we'll have an online release uh, shortly after that as well. Yeah, I want to. So, what have you guys, what has been the biggest, um, I guess, aha moment that you've had along this journey of doing this documentary and what is it that you hope to get out of it? Well, you know, we're, we are constantly finding new ways to to spread the word about minimalism. 
And I think that's why three years ago we, we decided to make a documentary. And, and we didn't want it to be just the, the Josh and Ryan show. We, we wanted to make minimalism accessible. Uh, we wanted to show people that, that minimalism isn't a, a radical lifestyle. It is a practical lifestyle. Yeah, so alongside with uh, our, our talented director, Matt Diavella, and uh, the amazing team over at Spire Media, uh, we went out and we interviewed dozens of minimalists from all walks of life. I mean, we interviewed minimalist families, minimalist entre- entrepreneurs, minimalist architects and artists and writers, environmental- environmentalists, <laughs> I mean, uh, neuroscientists. So what, what we've done is uh, we've just put a, a, a film together that shows how minimalism is really applicable to, any way, uh, to, any, to anyone, anywhere. And what we've really discovered is that with all of these people, uh, lead, uh, they lead considerably different lives. Um, they all share one thing in common. Uh, they're striving to, to live a meaningful life with less. Mm. That, 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 that's amazing, guys. And I saw the trailer. I think there was a quote in the trailer that really um, kind of struck with me, which was Joshua Becker said that, you know, I'm not quite sure if the three words most spoken in America is I love you or I want that. Mm. Yes. Which, which, which I think was, 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 was really powerful. What is, um, what is the th- one thing that you're most surprised of? of your entire journey for the last, over the last six years, what is the one thing that you guys are most surprised of? You know, when we, we went out in 2014, we did a, a crazy hundred city tour, um, 119 events in eight countries. We, we donated a year of our lives basically to go out and spread this message. We did uh, all free events and, and just went out there and met a bunch of people. And we found that this message is applicable to all different types of people. The same event in Atlanta, Georgia, we had a factory worker and a CEO. And uh, we've had people, we had a 13-year-old bring his mother in Omaha, Nebraska. And then we had um, a 92-year-old great-grandmother in San Diego bring four generations of daughters. <laughs> and and you're, you're realizing they're all asking the same question, basically. They're all asking, how do I live my best life? How do I live... A meaningful life, and even that 92-year-old who came up and said, I'm, "I finally learned I need to simplify my life." You know, it's not too late for me. Or the 13-year-old who said, "I brought my dad here because I think he could learn from this message." And it's like, wow, this message is really applicable, not necessarily to anyone, but to anyone with an open mind, anyone who is looking to improve their life. And this is just one tool to do that. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That, that. That's that's kind of the end of the philosophy. Um, there's a couple of questions that I, that I want to put forward for my reasons. I'll just pick two. Uh, one of them is if you could have a billboard displayed on Black Friday that everyone could see, what would you want to write on it? Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's, I remember that I heard that in your, um, I think it was the first episode of your podcast. And I, and I recommend people, you, you talked about your, your, your health, Josh, and I think the, the podcast episode on, on health is really cool about your 80-minute minimalist uh, workout that people could Yeah, do. you know, I, I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now, and I felt like crap all the time, and so I needed to sort of regain control of, of that for sure. Yeah. Guys, before, before I wrap up the interview, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you uh, both for the movement that you've created. And it's amazing to see just, you know, actually my brother was, um, I, I knew you guys already, and my brother sent me over an article that you guys had written. Um, and he started to uh, declutter his life and kind of like start buying stuff. And he's got two kids and he's like, they're trying to recycle toys now. And that like every time there's a Christmas or a birthday, he's like, just please don't give me stuff. Um, 
you know, like, let's go out for like a meal, let's have more experiences. So the, the, the ripple effect of what you guys are doing mm. and the message you're putting out there has a real tangible impact on, on even people in my life around me. So I really want to acknowledge you both for that. That's beautiful. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. And you know what, Mark? I want to congratulate you on your journey too, man. That's that's huge. Getting rid of as much stuff as you did. That's awesome. Keep <laughs> yeah. up the good work. Yeah, th- thanks, mate. Um, the the last two questions which I ask all my guests, and I, w- I want to hear from both of you, is what does being unconventional mean to you? I mean, I guess for me, being unconventional is kind of uh, going, <clears throat> I guess, going against status quo, or maybe not going against the status quo, status quo as much as questioning whether or not the status quo is the right is the right way to go because it's it's too often in my life uh in my past life especially where i would start to do something just because other people thought that i should be doing it like i would go for that next big promotion because i know that the gentleman that or you know gal that had that job before me uh, was really, really, you know, well known and people looked up to them. So I'm going to, I'm going to go get that promotion because I want, I want that status Mm. and not really asking deeper questions like, why do I really want that promotion? So, uh, living unconventional, uh, to me would, would be, uh, just asking, asking those questions and and being more deliberate with our choices. You know, I think the, a, a conventional life is, is the obverse side of living a deliberate life. Right, so a conventional life is going with the flow, doing what you're supposed to do, and, and the problem with going with the flow is eventually you end up at the falls, and and so the opposite would be, yeah, sometimes you have to paddle against the stream, but you're going to get where you want to go, and that is life of intention. Mm, love that. Final question: If all your essays were to be erased and all your books were to disappear, and we'd even get to talk about your publishing company, and all that was to go. And you could leave behind three truths that you know are truer than true. What would those three truths be? The first one for me, and it's the most important advice I think I could give to anyone, is you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Hmm. And what I mean by that is you shouldn't try to change the people in your life, as in improve them. Quite often what we need to do is surround ourselves with supportive people. And and so for the longest time, I associated with people who were – my relationships were birthed out of proximity and convenience. And I realized that just because you work, you know, you worked in the same cubicle next to me, doesn't mean we share, we share the same values. And so I had to change the people around me, meaning surround myself with supportive, not necessarily like-minded people, but open-minded people who, who have similar values, even when they have different beliefs. Yeah. I think one for me would be, you know, simple is not easy. It's too often that we, we hear the word simple and we automatically associate it with easy. And, and, and that was probably a, a big learning lesson for me is, is that it still takes a lot of work. You know, we're, we're, we're raised with this message that's propagated that says, if you find something that you love, you never work another day in your yeah. life. And I kind of think yeah. that that message is BS. Yeah, totally. I, I think that there are people out there who certainly could say that they do that. But I, don't, I really don't think it's a proper expectation. It, it takes a lot of work to to uh, to pursue or cultivate a passion, and it takes a lot of work uh, to to live a simple life. Love that. That's two truths. Finally, I, <laughs> that's one, that's one. you know, I, I, the 
the willingness to walk away. Mm. Literally being able to walk away from anything is is one of the most important things in my life and it is much more difficult in practice because I think that is the truest form of commitment. By being willing to walk away from my business or from my best friend if that relationship were not to continue or my partner or, or, or whoever else in life, whatever other thing, any material possession, that's the truest form of, uh, of commitment because I'm recommitting every single day of my life. Being willing to walk away at any time means that I'm not walking away for a specific reason because I am contributing to this relationship or I'm contributing to this business or contributing to the situation, but I'm also getting something from it as well. Mm. And, and, and so that I'm able to grow because of that. And ultimately that's, that's the meaning of life. Am I, am I growing as an individual? Am I giving to, to others? And so I have to be willing to walk away in order to maintain a, an intentional life. I love that. Josh, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I really enjoyed when they explained the difference between what you would consider what is minimalism, which is basically depriving yourself. And in fact, it's got nothing to do with depriving yourself, but rather getting rid of the excess so you could really get to what's important. And I think too many times we're, we're sold this dream of, well, I guess the American dream or the dream of more is better, when in fact, less is more. And I think that's one of the big messages that I took away from today's interview. I also love the quote that sometimes you've got to paddle against the stream, but you're going to get where you want to go. And that that is what a life of intention is. And I, and I really enjoyed that. I'd love to hear what was one of your favorite quotes or what, one, what was one of your favorite nuggets of today's interview. So you can do that by sending me a tweet at Mark LaRoost and make sure to tag in uh, both Josh and Ryan as well at The Minimalists. There's going to be all the show notes and everything that you need to know and click on and that we discussed over on marklaroos.com forward slash 24. And if you're in the States, make sure to go and check out their website, minimalismfilm.com, where you can look out for tickets to buy. So you can go and check out the premiere of their new feature documentary. And I'm slightly jealous you guys are going to go see it before me and, and, and I'm really excited about seeing, seeing the documentary as well. The other news that I wanted to announce is that I'm going to be launching a new event in the coming months in London, which I'm super excited about, where I'm getting some of the most popular guests that came on the podcast. And I'm actually going to organize an event where you can meet them live and where we're going to do a small section of, of a talk and then we're going to do a Q&A because that's what really gets me excited and fired up when I can actually answer your questions. So make sure to, to stay tuned and check out the future episodes of the podcast where I'll be announcing a little bit more about that. And you can also listen to all the updates over on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash Mark LaRouche. That's probably where I'll be updating where, with the live events and so forth. Thanks so much for your time because I know firsthand just how time poor we are and how sometimes giving the attention is the best gift that you can give so know that i'm grateful and i thank you for that make sure to go over to my youtube channel youtube.com forward slash mark roost and this is something i want to change about the format of the podcast and my videos i want to start answering your questions so i want you to send me a question you can do that in whatever way suits you best if you're on twitter send me a question over at twitter record a video send it to me Go up on Instagram, post on one of my photos, go on Facebook and send me a message or write on my wall. I don't know how you're going to do it or if you're going to go on YouTube, post a comment, but do it. I want to know what questions you have, what's getting in your way 
of taking action today because I'm on a mission to eradicate whatever that thing is. So by answering your questions, I can hopefully get you going on your journey because nothing excites me more than knowing that somehow, somewhere around the world, I'm helping you do something about that one thing you really want to do. So there you go. I'll see you on next week's episode. Until then, you know what time it is. It's time to take action.